Welcome to this week's edition of Worcester Talking News, recorded on November the 24th, Thursday, and brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind, with permission of the Worcester News. I'm Phil, and the team this week comprises John Plush as recording engineer, Carol Hartle on copying and admin, and our readers today are Catherine. Hello. And Dill. Hello. I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners and hope that you enjoy our recording. As always, we will include, first of all, a list of useful telephone numbers, then what's on locally, followed by the headline stories. We'll follow that up with a selection of general news stories, some sports, and then finish up with Thought for the Week, Sunrise and Sunset Times, and of course, if we're not exhausted by then, The Birthday File. If we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please do get in touch and we can add it to the file. Obituaries, as you know, are now recorded after the closing music. We do like to hear from you, we really do. And so if you have any comments or problems, a message can be left on the answer phone on 01905 767 766. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So, let's start this week with the telephone numbers which Dill is going to supply. Police Non-Emergency 101 NHS Direct 111 Out of Hours Medical Assistance 0300 between 6 and 8pm Crime Stoppers 0800 Five 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 one one one. Worcester Hub zero one nine zero five seven six five seven six five. Worcestershire County Council here to help zero one nine zero five seven six eight zero five three option three. Community Risk Team Fire Safety zero eight zero zero. 0321155 The Domestic Abuse Helpline 0800 9803331 Sense Adventures Walking for the Visually Impaired D Jones on 01684891297 stroke 07920144611 Samaritans 116123 Worcester Live 01905 Melbourne Theatres 01684892277 and then we have a new one here, Western Power, now to be called National Grid, to be used in the event of a power cut. There's a 24-hour service here, 0800-917-7953. Um, there's a priority service register, uh, and to register, you ring 
It's a free call, 0800-032-8302. And that will provide information in, for example, Braille, large print or alternative languages if you, ne- if you need that. Now, what's on? I've had to trawl through various uh, locations and have found that on November the 26th, which is this coming Saturday, the Christmas lights go on in Worcester and it's the Wyvern radio team that are going to do the switching. The Worcester News Carol Service, just one for your diary really, is on the 21st of December in the cathedral at 6.30 and it's not ticketed, so it's a turn up on the night sort of a do. Malvern Cinema is showing Armageddon time from November the 26th through to December the 1st and that stars Anthony Hopkins and Anne Hathaway. From November 28th to December the 3rd, it's the Rocky Horror Show. The Swan has Cinderella starting on November the 29th and Huntington Hall has Fleetwood Back, which we can imagine is a tribute band to Fleetwood Mac. And on December the 1st, the Comedy Club meets... November the 29th could be interesting as a talk by Tony Butler at 7.30 called Worcester in Aviation. OK, I'll now ask Catherine to read out the week's headlines. Thanks, Phil. So the, here are the headlines for the last week. <clears throat> On Friday the 18th, they need to be punished. Over the weekend, Saturday and Sunday the 19th and 20th of November, no way passed for ambulances. Monday the 21st, Nonsense Lane cost £10,000. Tuesday the 22nd, Bricks Attack on Pub. On Wednesday the 23rd, the headline was Distress Over Ticket Row. And today, Thursday the 24th, World Has Lost a Precious Man. This is uh, back to Friday the 18th of November and the front page story, They Need to Be Punished, which is about the fight to place... CCTV cameras at uh, Worcester Cemetery. Heartless thieves who steal grave ornaments could end up on CCTV and in court as a campaign for justice for bereaved families gathers pace. Craig Cook has organised a petition for cameras to be installed at all entrances and exits to Astwood Cemetery in Worcester after his family twice fell victim to graveside thieves. Worcester City Council has confirmed they are looking at what they can do to reduce the thefts, but have yet to announce any firm proposals. The latest theft came just three months after Mr Cook's beloved mum's death. Mr Cook, 44, was his mum's primary carer, and there is a Facebook group, Things Stolen from Astwood Cemetery, to raise awareness of similar thefts and provide support and advice. A petition for CCTV cameras has attracted 337 online signatures and a further 140 on paper. The incidents have been branded heartless and a violation by Worcester's Labour councillor, Jill Deseira, who has been in talks with cemetery managers to find a solution. Councillor Deseira has suggested a service which would allow ornaments to be cemented in to prevent thefts and potentially be marked with smart water to make stolen items easier to recover and identify. Mr Cook of Sadler's Walk, who only lost his mum in July and laid her to rest in August, was devastated to find two ornamental stone grey lions were stolen from his mother and father's graves in Astwood Cemetery on Saturday, October the 22nd. 
We also reported in 2017 how Mr Cook had mementos stolen from his father's grave, including a statue of a Yorkshire terrier engraved with his name. Mr Cook believes CCTV is the best solution. If there's, a, there's CCTV, it's going to be more of a deterrent and make it safer for people to come and visit. There's also been bag snatches and cars broken into at the cemetery. This sort of thing should not be happening, he said. He said a thief would wait until the police car left and then carry on doing what they're doing. Mr Cook said those who seal items from graves need to be punished. He described cemetery staff as being very supportive. Councillor Councillor Desaira, City Councillor for Warnden, said these violations of the graves of loved ones at Astwood are heartless. To be honest, they beg a belief. Everyone who hears of them is shocked. But the sympathetic response from the cemetery management has been comforting to some of those affected. Their listening and their careful consideration of what can best be done is much appreciated. The petition, which is still taking signatures, reads, quote, We should not be allowed to grieve and not... And not, we should be allowed to grieve and not to worry that our tokens of remembrance are being stolen or our cars are being broken into while we're mourning at our loved one's graveside. Unquote. A spokesman for Worcester City Council said, It's distressing and upsetting for people if memorial items are taken from their loved one's graves. We are liaising with the police and looking into what we can do to try and reduce the number of such incidents. Thank you, Dill. Saturday's headline was No Way Past for Ambulances. Ambulances stuck in hospital gridlock. Ambulances are being blocked from responding to 999 calls by long traffic queues outside the city's hospital. One ambulance with its blue lights flashing was trapped in a gridlock outside the hospital on Thursday and unable to move for an agonising 20 minutes because of the queues. A frustrated member of the public was forced to direct traffic to make room for the ambulance so that it could move and respond to the emergency call. Bosses at the hospital have apologised for the delays and said it is looking to find a new route out of the hospital grounds so that paramedics are not forced to sit in queues. Paul Brennan, Chief Operating Officer of Worcester Acute Hospitals Trust, said, We are keen to do everything we can to ensure ambulances can leave the hospital site as quickly as possible. We are able to make arrangements for ambulances to leave the site via alternative routes when traffic is exceptionally heavy and we are also actively exploring the possibility of an additional exit route from the site which could be used by staff, patients and visitors. A spokesperson for the West Midlands Ambulance Service said We are aware of incidents where our ambulances have encountered traffic issues leaving the hospital and are in regular contact with the hospital to try to improve the situation moving forwards. It's not the first time that paramedics have been left powerless by heaving traffic outside the hospital, which already has some of the worst handover times in the country. Last month, the region's NHS bosses revealed they'd been forced to choose between treating patients in corridors or in the back of ambulances as they prepare for another shortage of beds this winter. The bigger A&E is not expected to open at Worcestershire Royal until May. It's not much better at the region's ambulance service either, with one director admitting that long handover delays had been at catastrophic levels for 12 months and showed no signs of improving. Some of the most serious and at-risk patients, including those who've had strokes, are still having to wait almost two hours for an ambulance to arrive, with many needing help after falls, facing agonising waits of 12 hours or more. 
The ambulance service is one of two trusts taking part in an NHS trial, which will see some of the most serious Category 2 calls, such as strokes, heart attacks, sepsis and burns, reassessed by clinicians to find out how quickly paramedics need to respond to the emergency and whether an ambulance is required at all. But while the NHS says the move will be prioritising response times to time-sensitive emergencies, which should be responded to in 40 minutes, it will still mean that many 999 calls will not be treated as such. Right. On Monday, the headline was Nonsense Lane Costs £10,000. A cycle lane ridiculed for forcing riders to weave around several obstacles cost almost £10,000 to install. The 150-metre segregated path in New Road in Worcester was installed by Worcestershire County Council in June at a cost of £9,195, including almost £5,000 for white lines, signs and bollards. Closing one lane in New Road for three days for the path to be installed also cost £3,000. Worcestershire County Council has claimed the path, which is lined with a speed camera, trees, lamp posts and a bin, had been a success and resulted in very little conflict between cyclists and pedestrians. But some of the city's cyclists, who'd previously branded the obstacle-filled cycle lane as an embarrassment and a waste of money, remain unimpressed almost six months on, calling it expensive performative nonsense. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport, said the government needed to provide more funding before it could build expensive cycling infrastructure. Cycling infrastructure of any kind, which needs to follow strict government guidelines, is expensive, and this is one of the reasons we can't install as much as we would like as a council, he said. With the new road, we had a number of complaints about the conflict between pedestrians and cyclists on the combined new road footway and cycleway. Since the scheme was installed, monitoring has revealed that the scheme has been successful and that there is now very little conflict as most pedestrians and cyclists are using the segregated lanes, which is really good news for both. We need more funding to be able to support more cycle and pedestrian schemes and we're lobbying Active Travel England for more support to enable us to improve more of our network. At the time of its installation, the County Council said it had made sure there was enough room for cyclists and it was a compromise between improving infrastructure and the multiple demands on the space. The County Council is having to make up for years of lost ground on active travel, having lost out on more than £500,000 after two, in inverted commas, lacklustre bids for extra walking and cycling money fell short and a third was rejected outright. This is on top of the County Council receiving the worst possible zero rating from Active Travel England, the new government body responsible for handling walking and cycling money and told to make improvements before it thinks about bidding for more cash. Okay, this is the next headline, Brick's attack on pub, which was from Tuesday, 22nd of November. The shocking moment vandals throw bricks through the windows of a pub in Worcester has been caught on camera. Vandals targeted the new Checkers pub on Aswood Road in the early hours of the morning on Sunday, November the 20th. The pub's windows will now have to be replaced following the attack. 
CCTV footage captures the moment when two people throw bricks through the windows of the pub before quickly running away from the scene. Staff from the pub said the vandal struck at 6.20am, according to the CCTV footage. Zara Cleland, one of the owners of New Checkers, said that significant damage was caused during the incident. She said, whole new parts of the windows now need replacing as a result of this. What it seems the two people in the CCTV footage did was come down from Astwood Road, then head towards Tinton Avenue. At the beginning of the video, they're sat on a step which they, where they were sat for at least 10 minutes before they did what they did. She has appealed for people to get in touch with police if they have any information about the attack. The landlady added, If anyone recognises them or has any information on who it was, your help would be much appreciated. There's been no obvious reason for the attack, and the vandals did not attempt to steal anything from the pub or break in. Western News has contacted West Mercia Police for a comment but has yet to receive a response. Current owners, Miss Cleland and Lee Payne, have been at the helm of the Astwood Road pub for the past five years. The pub has distinctive decor inside with landlord Mr Payne responsible for the interior, having spent 30 years collecting various retro items. To report information to West Mercia Police regarding the vandalism, the public's asked to contact police online using the West Mercia Police website or call 101. Alternatively, contact Crime Stoppers by calling 0800-533-111. And on Wednesday, distress over ticket row. Woman left shaking after being surrounded by police at station. A woman has spoken of her distress after being surrounded by police in Worcester and fined despite having a valid train ticket. Stephanie Mortimer of Malvern Link said she was crying and shaking after her humiliation at Worcester Fourgate Street Station and had to be helped by a passing policeman. She was fined on Wednesday, November 16th, despite having proof that she was charged £6.70 for a return ticket. She claims that when she exited the train, about 10 British transport police officers and penalty notice guards made her feel distressed and embarrassed. She said, I loaded my online banking app and showed him the pending transaction to Trainline for my rail fare and explained that I would not be happy to accept a penalty fare notice as I had paid for my travel. I was forced to take the £20 penalty fare notice despite having done nothing wrong. I left the station feeling incredibly distressed, embarrassed and vulnerable, having been humiliated in public and treated like a criminal. Miss Mortimer arrived at Worcester Fourgate Street Station at 8.55 and noticed about 10 penalty notice guards as well as British Transport Police officers. She was asked about her ticket on the train by a passing ticket inspector who, she claims, agreed that she had sufficient proof that she had paid. She said... I had the opportunity to purchase a ticket from the guard on the train, but was reassured that I did not need to, as he could see from my pending transactions in my online banking that my fare was paid. Outside the busy train station, I was sobbing, physically shaking, and felt too embarrassed to walk through town in the state that I was in. I became incredibly light-headed and was unable to control my breathing, and a police officer walking through town helped me to the ground. She also claims that the experience has left her worried about using the train in future. She intends to appeal the fine and also lodge a complaint to the British Transport Police. 
A British Transport Police spokesperson said, Our teams are at stations across England, Scotland and Wales every day to ensure passengers and staff are safe. The high visibility presence of our officers on the network is not to intimidate anyone, but to provide reassurance to passengers that we are there to assist them and deter crime. If you're travelling on the network and need assistance, don't hesitate to speak to one of our friendly officers. A Great Western Rail spokesperson said it had cancelled the penalty fare, but a pending transaction is not proof of purchase. A spokesperson said, while a pending transaction is not proof of purchase, we have on this occasion cancelled the penalty. Given the nature of the individual circumstances, a level of discretion could have been shown, and we are sorry that this was not applied consistently in this instance. Right, so today's headline is The World Has Lost a Precious Man. Tributes have been paid to a man who brought the community together for an early Christmas. Matthew Sandbrook has died after suffering from cancer. The father of three from Warnden was given just months to live when diagnosed with a brain tumour last year, prompting hundreds of people to take part in an early Christmas party. He died on Friday, November the 18th, more than a year on from the festive celebrations. A Facebook post from his family read, With a broken heart, I must inform you all of the passing of Matthew Sandbrook. The world lost a very precious, kind, loving, funny, hard-working family man. Taken from us too soon, he will be sadly missed and always in our hearts. He was so brave, fighting this glioblastoma, brain cancer, for such a long time. Thank you for all your support over the last 14 months, helping create precious time and memories together. More than 200 people met up at the Green near Rodborough Close on October the 6th of last year before making their way towards Matthew's home. Crowds sang Ben E. King's Stand By Me as Matthew, his wife Rebecca and their three sons, Connor, Kyle and Tyler, came out of the house to join in with some popular Christmas songs. On cloud nine with what's happened today, Matthew said at the time. You spend years and years thinking you're on your own and all this happens in such a short space of time. Matthew's cousin, Nikki Lee, who organised the event, added, He loves Christmas and when we found out he would probably not make it this year, we thought we'd just have to bring Christmas forward. It was an amazing, emotional, heartwarming night which gives you such faith in humanity. There were so many people there, some who didn't even know Matty, but had read about his story on Facebook and wanted to show their support. Matthew's funeral will be held at Worcester Crematorium at 2.15pm on Friday, December the 9th, with a wake taking place at the new Checkers Inn in Rainbow Hill. Anyone wishing to attend is asked to meet by the entrance to the crematorium, where friends and family will walk behind the car which will be playing Stand By Me. Matthew's wife, Rebecca, has asked that instead of bringing flowers, people contribute to the donation boxes for St Richard's Hospice at the funeral service. She said, I would like to thank all of the staff, doctors, nurses and volunteer workers at St Richard's Hospice for the care they gave Matthew and myself over the last month. So that concludes our headline stories for this week. Uh, We'll now make a start on a selection of other stories from the news and I'll ask Dill to lead us off on that. Okay, this is from Wednesday's newspaper, Breakfast Club Help. A free breakfast was held 
for all students at the University of Worcester to help with food bills amid the cost of living crisis. Students were able to get a free breakfast including cereals, pastries and a variety of hot and cold drinks this morning at The Hangar, a bar and social venue at the Students' Union. Worcester Students' Union organised the event between 8.30 and 10.30 yesterday due to the ongoing fears of rising costs. Al Linforth, President of Worcester Students' Union, said the breakfast was for anyone who wants or needs it. He said, today we are hosting our breakfast club where we give free breakfast to anyone who wants or needs it. We know the cost of living crisis has impacted on students a lot and we're just trying to do a bit to help our student population. We're halfway through the morning and have already had 72 students come in and we're expecting over 100 by the end of the event. The event is entirely funded by us. Our officers get a budget every year and we decided to donate £1,000 from our personal budgets to feed students here at Worcester. Lucy Evans, a primary education student, said, I'm here to support the event and raise awareness about the free breakfast today. I think it really is important because of the cost of living crisis, buying general groceries cost a lot of our student loans, even with a job. Something like this can really help a lot of people in tough situations. Cat, Cat Whitehouse, PGC primary student, said, The free breakfast event is great. I've been following the event on Instagram for a while. I live off campus and I have not been shopping in about a week because I'm worried about how much my bill will come to at the end. During the pandemic, I feel students got overlooked quite a lot. And with the rising bills, I feel it is happening again. A, student union, a student's union is separate from the university and is also a registered charity which represents students' interests during their time at university. And from today's paper, Christmas Toy Appeal. A Christmas Toy Appeal is in need of donations to help bring toys to children at Worcestershire Royal Hospital. Mandy Griffiths regularly organises a Christmas Toy Appeal for the Riverbank Ward at the hospital with help from volunteers. The ward is for children and young people aged from newborns up to 17 years old. If children are too unwell to go home following being admitted to Worcestershire Royal, they may be admitted to the Riverbank Ward. Ms Griffiths said Covid and the cost of living crisis have made things really difficult for everyone. She said, I appreciate that times are very hard. We are only asking people to donate if they are financially able to. We particularly struggle with gifts for teenagers, but even a selection box for 99p would bring a smile. It has always been very successful, rewarding and emotional to see some poorly children in hospital getting their gifts. The organisers have their own Santa Claus who delivers the gifts to the children personally. Miss Griffiths said, For a few years now, volunteers and I have worked with the Riverbank Ward to bring smiles to children. We have our own Santa. The ward asks that no gifts are wrapped so that they can be checked by staff and that gifts are new for health and safety reasons. The appeal is also in need of donation stations as the team behind it are all based in Kidderminster. Miss Griffiths said, I want to take time to thank my volunteers Adele and Becky who are also based in Kidderminster and helping me help helping me make this come together. If anybody is able to help us, please email me at all small case this Mandy Griffiths sixty that's six o at gmail dot com. And another story with a Christmas theme. Children are set to be wowed by a giant gingerbread cottage which has appeared in the middle of a shopping centre. 
animatronic reindeer and friendly gingerbread people will wow little ones in the centre of Crowngate Shopping Centre. The new festive edition has been in the works for the past few months and is free to visitors. Shoppers could also be in with the chance to win their very own wooden gingerbread house that is worth £6,000. Michael Lloyd, centre manager at Crowngate Shopping Centre, said he just wanted to put a smile on people's faces during tough times. He said, The idea was inspired by a summer house we saw on Facebook. People can have a look and take photographs and people can enjoy it for free. It's about giving something to charity, especially as we are a community shopping centre. We've had a phenomenal response from people. Shoppers were stopping to have a look before we'd even finished. Mr Lloyd said children will also be able to meet Father Christmas at the Gingerbread House, free of charge on selected dates. Everybody is looking at their energy prices and we want to give everyone a reason to smile. Ali Chester from Three Counties Christmas and a professional Christmas decorator from Kemsey said, I think more than anything, when people are really struggling and feeling really low, something like this brings them back to that magic Christmas hat when we were children. Three Counties Christmas helped put together the nodding reindeer and the huge gingerbread person perched outside the house. Mrs Chester added... I felt quite emotional when I saw it all come together. It took me back to being a six-year-old and feeling the magic of Christmas and it feels good that we're now able to do that for the next generation. Dan Cox, director of D&J Timber Building, said, We wanted to create something that's a bit different and that stands out. Particularly during the cost of living crisis, it's great to have something for free for everyone to look at. The Gingerbread House is aiming to fundraise for Crowngate's Charity of the Year on side, which believes young people deserve access to opportunities. Okay, this is from Friday's newspaper. Tourists are intimidated is the headline. Large groups of youths cycling dangerously and wearing balaclavas are making the city look bad, according to a local businessman. Paul Harding of Discover History has claimed groups of intimidating youths have been regularly cited on his 6pm tours of the city. Mr Harding claims the groups are becoming quite a nuisance and wants to see a greater police presence in the city centre. He said, It's not uncommon for us to see the groups cycling dangerously, banging on doors and windows and throwing rubbish down in the streets and on Angel Place and the Cross. They can be in groups of 10 to 20 people at a time. A lot of them hide their faces behind face coverings, scarves and balaclavas. For people walking through the city, especially people on their own, this can be extremely intimidating and certainly does not paint the city in a good light. They're becoming quite a nuisance. Mr Harding runs tours of the city alongside his wife and business partner Helen and said he has spotted the group since Covid restrictions ended. He said, they're usually between 16 to 18 years old, but it's something we never really noticed before the pandemic began. The oddest thing is that on our 7.30pm tours, the groups are nowhere to be seen, and I often wonder if this is because more doormen and bouncers are out at this time. Worcester has purple flag status, and I believe the city is a safe place to be, but members of our tours have often commented on the lack of police in the evenings. I know police cannot be everywhere at once, but it needs addressing really. We do not want to have to avoid certain areas or change our tour times.
Councillor Lynn Denham, City Councillor for Cathedral Ward, believes more is needed for young people to do. She said, I believe that more is needed for these young people to do if we hope to see antisocial behaviour decrease. We have a great community safety team at the City Council which can hopefully help people like this causing issues. Scouts and church groups are not for everyone, so if there are more positive things to do, then hopefully this kind of behaviour will be seen less and less. We've contacted West Mercy Police, but nobody was available for comment. Right, now it's time to look at Sally's savers, and it's called Cutting the Cost in the Kitchen. Step into any kitchen... And there will almost certainly be an array of energy-guzzling appliances, ranging from the humble kettle to espresso machines and occasionally a pizza oven. Of course, not many of us have a pizza oven, so let's start with fridge and freezer. The Food Standards Agency recommend refrigerators run at 5 degrees Celsius and freezers at minus 18 degrees Celsius. A frost-free full freezer, that's not easy to say, runs more energy efficiently, however, an over-full refrigerator is costlier to run. The fast freeze setting on freezers should only be used when fresh food is added and turned off when it's frozen. Using the fridge's holiday mode maintains temperatures at 15 degrees Celsius, too warm to keep food fresh, but ideal to keep the fridge mould-free whilst we're away and the fridge is empty. When it comes to washing machines and dishwashers, the eco mode will take more time but less water and less energy. If eco isn't an option, simply switch to a cooler temperature, although heavily soiled items are less likely to come out as clean, so do bear that in mind. Always run these machines full, and remember to clean out filters on a regular basis. Tumble dryers run at about a pound an hour, so it pays to use them sparingly. Even a partially line-dried load will be cheaper to tumble dry than straight from the washer. Don't over or underload the dryer. Don't add wet items during the cycle and remove dried clothes as soon as possible to reduce creasing. The jury is still out on whether it's cheaper to wash up by hand or use a dishwasher. Which magazine reports that pre-soaking when using a washing up bowl will save money and when using a dishwasher, always stack a full load. Use eco mode and don't pre-wash for the greatest energy efficiency. Mm, thank you, Phil. Right. Well, perhaps more about food. This is rather a cheering story, I think. A cafe will close for staff to recover. And this is about next Sunday. A quirky Worcester cafe will be closed on Sunday. And it's for a reason that many of us will be able to relate to. Cafe Afloat says it's shutting down for the day to allow staff to recover from a party the night before. The cafe, which is based in a converted canal boat moored in Diglas Basin, informed customers of the upcoming closure on Facebook. Hi folks, very sorry, but we will be closed this Sunday, the cafe said in a post. Our lovely manager, Will, has just had a big birthday and he's having a party on Saturday night and we honestly don't think the team will be in a fit state to serve you on Sunday, so we've decided not to open. We think honesty is the best policy, so for one Sunday, only hangovers are to blame. Cafe Afloat opened in Basin Road, Diglis, 13 years ago and has proved popular in Worcester, with its bacon sandwiches particularly in demand. Customers have evidently been showing their appreciation by leaving positive reviews online, as the cafe was named in the top 10% of restaurants in the world by TripAdvisor. Cafe Afloat is a top business, therefore, on TripAdvisor. 
The commendation was announced as part of TripAdvisor's Traveller's Choice 2022 and was posted on the business's social media, thanking its customers and staff. Dave Price, the owner of Café Afloat, said, We try really hard to keep everyone happy, and 99% of our reviews are always positive. On the off chance that someone is unhappy, we always try to go the extra mile and rectify their experience. Café Afloat joins a number of other Worcestershire businesses that have closed temporarily in order to look after their staff. In October, the Plough in Fish Street closed temporarily for staff maintenance announcing, sorry folks, we're knackered. Okay, another festive story, this one about uh, Worcester's Victorian Christmas Fair. More than 150 stalls, music and fairground rides will feature at this year's Victorian Christmas Fair. Worcester City Council has confirmed a popular festive event is set to be held from Thursday, December the 1st to Sunday, December the 4th, featuring more than 150 stalls filling the city's streets. The event is celebrating its 30th anniversary and regularly attracts over 150,000 people across the four days, bringing in an estimated 7 million to the local economy based on City Council estimations. Seasonal stores will be found in High Street, Cathedral Square, Pump Street, New Street, Corn Market and The Shambles. The Shambles has never previously featured stores for the event before. There will be fairground rides in the Corn Market car park and Lower Broad Street, which will be funded by Worcester Bid. Stilt walkers and appearances from Victorian fiction characters, including Sherlock Holmes and Dr Watson and Ebenezer Scrooge, will also be in attendance. Mayor of Worcester, Councillor Adrian Gregson, said... The Victorian Fair always brings a touch of festive magic to Worcester streets and we can't wait to visit. Uh, we can't wait to once again welcome thousands of visitors to enjoy one of the highlights of the Christmas calendar. The icing on the cake, he said, is the great fun-packed programme of street entertainment for all the family to enjoy. The event begins with the traditional official opening ceremony on the evening of Thursday, December the 1st. Worcester Cathedral will host a community carol service at 4.45, followed at 5pm by the procession from the cathedral to the corn market, where the mayor will officially declare the fair to be open. Carols will be sung by the Worcester Cathedral Voluntary Choir, accompanied by the Salvation Army, and there will be a short Bible reading and prayer. The opening ceremony will finish shortly after 6pm. Traditional festive food and drink Dance performances, music and community entertainment will also feature on the main stages in Cathedral Square and Bell Square in Crowngate. The Cardinal's Hat will also host a stage in Friar Street and St Swithin's Church in Church Street will also be hosting performances. And if that's not enough, get set for annual charity Santa Dash, it says here. Santas will be spotted jogging along the riverside in Worcester this December as a hospice brings its fourth festive fun run to the city. The St Richard's Hospice Santa Dash is set to take place on Sunday, December 11th with a choice of either a two-mile route or, for over 14s, a a four-and-a-half-mile course. Sophia Gunster, fundraiser at St Richard's, said this is always such a fun, family-friendly event and is the perfect way to get into the festive spirit. And, thanks to the support of Bennett's Willow Barn and Bennett's Farms, we're pleased to offer a longer route this year. Uh, 
We ask everyone taking part to raise money towards our care, helping us continue to be there for patients and their loved ones across Worcestershire. We wait for it. Ho, ho, hope to see you there. Both routes begin at Worcestershire County Cricket Club with a warm-up from dance instructor Ellie Hawkins and Christmas tunes from DJ Talia. The two-mile course extends to the Diglis Bridge before heading back to South Quay. The longer trail takes runners across the fields of Bennett Farm and up to their farm cafe in Lower Wick before finishing with the rest at South Quay. Everyone will get a festive treat and medal at the finish line. The hospice asks anyone who already has a Santa suit to reuse the costume at this event. Those reusing a Santa suit can book tickets at a reduced price. Anyone who doesn't already have a Santa suit will be given one on the day of the event. The ticket price for children, though, includes a Santa hat only. Tickets for the two-mile route are 15 quid for adults or £13 without a Santa suit and £4 for under-14s. The Santa Dash is sponsored by Bennett's Willow Farm and Bennett's Farm. Stefania Bennett, who runs the farm's milk round, cafe and events venue, said, We're delighted to be supporting St Richard's Hospice, a very worthy local charity who we know carries out such important work for our local community. We're happy to be opening up our fields beyond the usual public footpaths, although we're not sure what the cows are going to make of all the Santas dashing past them. The 2021 Santa Dash saw 300 people taking part, helping to raise more than £12,500 after costs for the hospice. To book tickets, visit www.strichards.org.uk forward slash event forward slash Santa Dash or contact the fundraising team on 01905 958 262. You can also email appeals at strichards.org.uk. Right. Uh, Jimi Hendrix has been honoured with new artwork installed overlooking the River Severn in Worcester. Hendrix in Worcester is the latest artwork to be installed on the Worcester Plinth, which sits riverside on Hilton Road. A vibrant Jimi Hendrix portrait created by London-based artist Iona Rowland pays homage to the guitarist gig at the Worcester Gaumont on the 2nd of April 1967. It will be illuminated at a launch event on Sunday, November the 27th, on what would have been the musician's 80th birthday. The four-metre-wide artwork is a composite of screen prints and painterly marks, hand-rendered on canvas and then reproduced with aluminium. Iona Rowland said, The Worcester Plinth project has given me the opportunity to delve even further and explore the significance of Hendrix's live performances, especially his gig at the Worcester Gaumont. It's such an historic venue and so many incredible acts have played there, from the Beatles to the Rolling Stones. The artwork will be a tribute to Jimmy and to the venue and I hope for some it will evoke a sense of nostalgia. The work was commissioned by the Worcester Plinth team and funded by the Elmley Foundation. Oliver Carpenter, Worcester Plinth team member, said, We're really pleased to be able to commission this new work from Iona and to celebrate Jimi Hendrix and his performance in Worcester. Big, bold and colourful, this is our third piece on the Worcester Plinth as we continue to transform the building from dereliction into a major and ever-changing city centre art location. The artwork builds on Iona Rowland's Hendrix in London mural. 
which was commissioned in 2021 by the Handel and Hendricks Museum for the facade of Jimmy's former Mayfair home, which he shared with his girlfriend Cathy Etchingham. The Worcester plinth uses a prominent derelict riverside building, the Screen House, which has been unused since it was the water outlet for the power station on Hilton Road, which was demolished in 1979. A number of art installations have already used the space, including a fish sculpture that celebrated the completion of the Unlocking the Seven project. Hendricks and Worcester will be on display until January 2023 at the Worcester Plinth. Okay, this is another one from last Friday. Burst water pipe fixed. A burst pipe which turned a busy road into a river after a big water leak has now been fixed following complaints about wasted water. Seven Trent engineers were sent out on Sunday to fix the leak in Rainbow Rise, Worcester. The burst pipe sent water gushing out of a yellow fire hydrant down a hill and onto the main road last week, forcing motorists to hit the brakes and steer around the flood. As previously reported, the deluge started in Rainbow Rise, emanating from a yellow fire hydrant before pouring down into Vicar Street and onto Rainbow Hill in Worcester. A Seven Trent spokesperson said, Our team completed the repair to the burst main on Rainbow Rise on Sunday and will be returning to reinstate the surface of the highway. Last week, a resident and a local councillor said the leak had been reported to Seven Trent on Thursday. However, both said no work had taken place to fix the leak, although traffic cones had been put in place. Cones marked the leak on the unadopted road and further cones alerted drivers to the leak in Rainbow Hill itself. Motorists slowed down outside the Rainbow Hill chippy to negotiate the hazard, but some pedestrians still got splashed as drivers ploughed through the flood. Water could be seen flowing out of the ground near the third Worcester Scout Hut and also pouring into a building site on the corner of Vicar Street. Councillor Adrian Gregson, Labour City Councillor for Rainbow Hill, raised the issue and said the leak was reported at 8am on Thursday. At the time of the leak, Councillor Gregson said, It's ridiculous to see this level of wastage. My constituents are appalled at this waste of water going down the drain in the middle of of the cost of living crisis. At the time of the leak, a Seven Trent spokesman said, We'd like to apologise to customers near Rainbow Rise in Worcester who've been affected by a burst water pipe. A story from Saturday's newspaper. Two guest houses on a main route into Worcester could be converted into flats under new plans, but without any parking. A planning application has been put forward which would see Barbourne Guest House and Homely Guest House in Barbourne Road, Worcester, converted into 13 new one-bed apartments. A statement included with the application said the proposal includes the creation of 13 new one-bed self-contained apartments within two existing guest houses, one basement unit and four apartments on each floor. The main access to the apartments will be off Barbourne Road. However, rear access will be available for occupants who choose to use the rear courtyard. To accommodate the apartments on the second floor, it's being proposed to raise the existing pitched roof and replace the existing flat roof with a pitched one, as it is more sympathetic and in keeping with its context rather than a flat roof. Both proposed pitched roof ridges are to be the same height. A new dormer is proposed to be constructed, which will accommodate the bathroom and kitchen in both buildings.
A similar plan to convert the neighbouring Wyatt guest house, which was put up for sale in 2015, into a house of multiple occupation with 13 rooms, was backed by the City Council's planning committee in 2019. The decision eventually coming about despite concerns about lack of parking spaces. A resident parking scheme which takes in St George's Square, parts of St George's Lane North and parts of Barbourne Road was set up in 2013. It's not the only work which could soon take place in Barbourne Road with a separate plan to build a modern glass extension above the Grade 2 listed Thornillow House which sits opposite the Barbourne and Homely guest houses alongside four two-bed homes was put forward last month. Several objections have been raised against the plan, saying it would ruin the look of the listed building. You can have your say on the plan by visiting Worcester City Council's website. The application number is 22 forward slash 00900 forward slash capitals F-U-L and consultation ends on December the 14th. Right. Um, Okay, so here's another story about... It's not another story, but it is a story about eggs. <laughs> <laughs> a budget city supermarket has sold out of eggs and is rationing sales, although many other shops appear to be well stocked during the shortage. The shelves were stripped bare in Lidl in Blackpool Road, Worcester yesterday, with not a single box of eggs available to buy. Meanwhile, signs have appeared on the shelves of Lidl telling customers they're restricted in the number of purchases that can be made and warning against panic buying during the national shortage. A shop worker at Lidl said she did not know when the next supply of eggs would arrive, but they have been getting in new stock every day. However, it appeared to be a very mixed picture, with some supermarkets, including Tesco in Warnden Villages, Sainsbury's in Blackpool and Waitrose in London Road, having their shelves fully stocked. Meanwhile, Worcestershire farmers say they're doing everything they can to keep the lines of supply open as they also tackle high inflation, skyrocketing energy bills and the outbreak of avian flu, which has hit the industry. Signs in Lidl asked shoppers to consider others when buying eggs and customers were limited to three units of eggs per customer. One sign read, let's keep enough for everyone. Another sign about Deluxe, Woodcote and Simply Eggs read, due to supply issues there may be limited availability across these items. We're working hard to restock our shelves. Please accept our apologies for any inconvenience caused. Okay. Um this is uh, from last Friday's paper, Stag Do's to Stay Afloat, is the headline. Stag Do's are still welcomed by a boat hire company that saw one of their vessels sink earlier this year. A group believed to be on a stag do hired three narrow boats from ABC Boat Hire before setting sail in Worcestershire. Later that night, on May the 20th, the boat was submerged after getting stuck in a lock in Droitwich. ABC Boat Hire says that while there is ongoing action following the incident, they continue to hire out their vessels to anyone who wants them. A spokesperson said, I cannot comment on the ongoing action in relation to the incident earlier this year. However, we continue to hire to large groups and don't discriminate on sex. We continue to offer our thorough British British Marine audited handover. It's understood that the group had hired three boats, abandoning another and continuing on the third. 
Fellow canal user Amanda Huxtable claims that her boat was hit by an ABC boat shortly after 10pm on May the 20th. She said, I called the police because I was extremely frightened by the, these events. These guys were incapable of being in charge of a 65-foot narrowboat. ABC had let three narrowboats to a stag party. One sank in a lock after mooring in it. One went elsewhere on the canal system and the third hit me at Astwood Lane near Stoke Prior. Volunteers from River Canal Rescue spent the Saturday, May the 21st, removing the boat from the lock. By about 5pm the boat had been removed and was once again floating on the canal. A spokesperson for the Rivers and Canals Trust said at the time, I think it was a stag party and there were three boats. One was the one that got st- got into trouble and that was because they didn't operate the locks and the, and the paddles properly. So ultimately their boat got stuck. We're relieved that there have been no injuries or anything worse. A story about a lady who's anxious about mould in properties. Very much in the news at the moment. A woman from Worcester says she's too scared to try for a baby after hearing about the tragic death of a two-year-old boy in a mould-infested home. Two-year-old Awab Ishak died in 2020 and a coroner ruled this week that it was due to excessive amounts of mould he was exposed to in his own home. Senior coroner Joanne Kersley said Ishak's death will be a defining moment for the housing sector. Tenants across Worcestershire, like Natia May Griffiths, say they have repeatedly raised fears about excessive mould in their home to their housing associations and they aren't doing enough. In the summer, we reported about Miss Griffiths, who lives in Albert Road. The 23-year-old was left feeling ashamed of the mould in her home and accused platform housing of leaving her with a hole in a bath for months. She said that the housing company have fixed the hole but not cleared up the mould. She continued, I live in a place that is not safe. I have mould growing above my radiator, which is very odd. Ishak Awab's story has sent my anxiety through the roof. I've been trying for a baby, but not anymore. That story has really scared me. I do not want to bring a baby up with mould, not a chance. I'm worried about my health. When I put my heating on, you can smell the mould. Housing associations do not take this seriously enough, and I hate living in this flat. I've not got a clue how to control mould, but I do everything I can to keep my home ventilated. I keep my windows open all the time, even in winter. Gemma Wakefield has also said that she's developed serious health problems after living in a flat with excessive mould in Kempsey. The business owner has been asking her housing association, Rooftop Housing, to fix it, but they have previously only offered ventilation advice. Miss Wakefield said, It angers me that something like that can happen. Housing associations are not taking it seriously. They're not taking responsibility. I'm thinking, I'm not asking for the world. I'm asking for a property I pay to live in to be safe. A spokesperson for Rooftop Housing said, The issue of damp and mould in our homes is something that we take extremely seriously as a responsible housing provider. There are many ways in which it can become a problem, so we've published an in-depth guide on our website to support our tenants in minimising the risks and to provide a simple way of reporting issues to us. Marion Duffy, Chief Operations Officer at Platform Housing, called the death of Awabi Shark truly tragic. She said, We take a proactive approach to all reports of mould and condensation. Works are carried out where needed and we always give advice to our customers. She added that both cases had received visits and any remedial works had been or were being planned.
A plan to demolish a former school to make way for new flats will be discussed by councillors next week. The former St Placide's School in Battenhall in Worcester would be knocked down and replaced with almost 50 flats under fresh plans. Councillor officers have recommended the application is approved when the planning committee meets in the Guildhall on November the 24th, saying the new building would be attractive and more efficient compared to the one approved in 2018. The previous scheme approved by Worcester City Council in 2018 would have seen the former Victorian Junior School remain with newer extensions built in the 1940s and 50s, demolished for more than 30 retirement flats. Enterprise Retirement Living now wants to tear down the entire building, which has been used as a site office during the building of the wider Mount Batten Hall at St Mary's, and replace it with a new three-storey apartment building and 15 more flats and four new bungalows. The former school's tennis courts, which have been used as a car park during the building of the Mount Battenhall Retirement Village opposite, would also be built on, with two new apartment blocks containing 23 flats, bringing the total to 47 apartments and almost doubling the size of the development. A total of 29 neighbours have objected to the plan, claiming that the former school building is of historic importance to Worcester and should stay in place. Objectors also said the new building would destroy the appearance of the area and argued the old school building could be renovated without being demolished. The Conservation Advisory Panel, which is made up of city councillors, was said to be split over the plans but declared it was unacceptable in its current form. Enterprise Retirement Living has said the condition of the building is poor and would be difficult to convert into suitable apartments for the elderly. Nearby trees could also cause damage to the building's shallow foundations, the developer said. A decision was expected to be made in March, but an extension to the deadline was agreed until the end of November. Worcester City Council's planning committee meets from 1.30pm in the Guildhall on November the 27th. Okay, and here's an item from Saturday's newspaper about the food bank. Worcester's food bank is appealing for supermarket gift cards to help deal with the oncoming storm. The food bank recently published its Christmas shopping list for 2022 and the top priority for this year is gift cards. Graham Lucas, manager of Worcester Food Bank, has said that the oncoming storm caused by the cost of living crisis and rising energy bills has meant the food bank has had to change the way it operates. He said things have been really busy this year on the build-up to Christmas. Last month we saw a 33% increase in demand for our service compared to October 2021. It's really confirmed our fears regarding the effects of the rising bills. For many, Christmas is a wonderful time, but for many others, it's a really tough time of year. We've spent the last six weeks reorganising the food bank ready for the oncoming storm, ensuring we have the space and necessary items. Mr Lucas also said that due to donations turning to money-based instead of food items, it's meant more time being used by volunteers going to collect items themselves in bulk. As well as the gift cards, the charity also puts together seasonal Christmas packs so that those in need of its services can still enjoy treats and traditional festive snacks. 
This year, 11 items have been listed to the public if they're wanting to contribute to the Christmas packs. Christmas cake, mincemeat, chutney, cranberry sauce, pickled beetroot, pickled onions, cheese biscuits, savoury snacks, not nuts, cheeselet drums, twiglet drums and chocolates. For the storehouse, the food bank is also appealing for dried stuffing, gravy granules, bread sauce and canned ham. Worcester Food Bank also accepts money and gift cards to enable staff to buy what's needed. The food bank can only accept donations of unopened and undamaged goods which are still within their use-by date. To donate, you can visit Worcester Food Bank at Unit 7 Lowesmore Wharf, uh, local participating supermarkets and organisations, or you can contact them online at worcester.foodbank.org.uk. OK. Housing provider is best in region. Worcester-based sanctuary supported living has won a top honour at the West Midlands Regional Finals of the Great British Care Awards. The national supported housing provider scooped the prestigious Care Employer Award during the ceremony at Birmingham's International Conference Centre on Saturday, November the 5th. Sanctuary supported living owns and manages more than 600 services around the country. It provides supported housing for people with disabilities, mental health needs, young people and those affected by homelessness or domestic violence, as well as retirement communities, including Noble House in St John's. The organisation won the award for its commitment to its staff and how that contributes to success, empowering them to deliver excellent customer service. It has introduced initiatives designed to support staff to be their best, recognising that when they feel motivated and well-supported, it directly improves customer outcomes. The results of annual customer satisfaction surveys are consistently high, and Sanctuary Supported Living recently celebrated 14 months of all its Care Quality Commission registered services being rated as good or outstanding. It will now go forward to the national finals of the Care Awards in March. Sarah Keatley, Operations Director, said, We nurture our staff through free training, sustainable business practices and positive working environments. We support people on a journey, and whilst we hope they stay with us, we're proud to be contributing the best of the best to support vulnerable people. This award is for each and every employee, our frontline staff, our back office teams. They pull together to be the best we can for our customers. I'm absolutely delighted that we've received this accolade, which recognises our commitment to residents and staff. Thanks for Samaritans. A woman who fell over outside Marks and Spencer's has praised the kind-hearted Good Samaritans who came to her aid. Maggie Green was walking down the steps at Marks and Spencer in Worcester High Street when she took a tumble and ended up in a heap on Wednesday, November the 9th. The 72-year-old, who loves shopping in Worcester and describes the city as a calming influence, says she wants to get in touch with those who helped her, meet them and take them all out for coffee as her way of saying thank you. Mrs Green, who says her bruises are now healing, said, Whilst coming down the steps of Marks and Spencer's in Worcester, I lost my footing and tumbled forward down the remaining steps. Luckily, my friend was on hand to gather my scattered bags, which was great. But more importantly, two total strangers came to my aid as well, which made me feel very humbled and grateful. Sadly, I have no idea who they were. 
and hope, with the help of your readers, they will know just how much their kindness means to me. I hope my recollection of these two good Samaritans are sufficient for someone to recognise them. The lady came down the same stairs as me. I think her hair was on auburn brown hair. She was wearing a black coat and carrying a dark-coloured handbag with a chain handle. She asked if I was OK and if I would like a glass of water. Having assured her I was okay and didn't need any water, she seemed reluctant to leave until I sat up. That's when I noticed the gentleman, who must have come into the store from the high street. He also wore a black coat, but he had light hair and spoke with a quiet voice, asking if he could help me up. Having said I would just sit where I was for a while, he said the same thing had happened to him recently in the St John's area. Mrs Green of Briley Hill said... After a few minutes, when I was able to stand again, I became very hot, so my friend suggested I sit on the bench to the right of Marks and Spencer, which I did. However, the kind man had disappeared before I could thank him. To both of my good Samaritans, thank you for your kindness and compassion. I'm a little bruised, but I'll never forget the moment in time yesterday when you cared enough to help me. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Okay, this is... Um, about some parking problems in Worcester it's called the the actual headline is lack of signs blamed readers say lack of enforcement and lack of signage is to blame for illegal parking on Cathedral Square a recent picture was taken of delivery drivers and cars parked on Cathedral Square the suggestion that the square is being used as a makeshift car park has sparked concerns among residents and city councillors Michael Lloyd posted a picture of cars parked on the plaza in front of restaurants and bars last Friday. Mr Lloyd said the cars seem to belong to food delivery company drivers and has asked the City Council to take action. One person, who commented on the Worcester News website, believes a lack of enforcement has led to the problem. They said, It's the same old, same old, same old with Worcester. No enforcement. Any enforcing body trotting out the usual nothing-to-do-with-me-mate excuses. Most traffic enforcement is down to the council, but when do you ever see an enforcement officer out after dark? However, Worcester City Council previously said that the civil enforcement teams are concentrating on problem areas, which includes evening work. Another person claimed that the issues are the results of lack of signage in places to inform drivers that parking is not permitted. They said, I don't believe there are any signs at the entrance to Cathedral Square saying vehicles are not permitted on the square, which means drivers are not doing anything wrong. The area is a shared space, like the high street, but if there are no signs saying no driving or parking on Cathedral Square, like the other pedestrianised areas in the city centre, then that's a glaring oversight from the Highways Department. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport at Worcestershire County Council, said the council are aware of the issues in Cathedral Square. He said, we are aware of the issues and we're talking to our partners at the City Council about enforcement options. And a story from Monday, theft in checkout queue. Magistrates heard an impatient drunk man with a history of violence and stealing decided to commit his latest offence because there had been a long queue in Asda. Luke Harborn of Astwood Road, Worcester, drank, quote, an industrial amount of alcohol before being caught using pliers to remove tags from items in the Silver Street-based supermarket. 
Alina Iqbal, prosecuting at Worcester Magistrates Court, said the 27-year-old entered the supermarket at 8pm in November and was watched by security staff on CCTV taking out the pliers and removing the tags from two bottles of alcohol. Miss Iqbal said police were called and Harborne was arrested after it was discovered that he'd taken the tags off four bottles and a coat. The prosecutor said all the items were in resaleable condition apart from one bottle Harborne had drunk from. Ms Iqbal said he is no stranger to the courts. He has 144 theft offences. She added Harborne committed the crime while on a community order, further aggravating the offence. Defending Gary Harper said he was under the influence of alcohol. He drank an, he had drank an industrial amount, 10 pints and a bottle of spirits. He has little recollection of what happened. Mr Harper said Harborn had gone into Asda as he wanted more to drink, but on seeing the long queue, he didn't, long, didn't want to wait, using the pliers he had on him from roofing work earlier that day. Megan Harrison, chairman of the magistrate's bench, told Harborn that they were finding him £120 and ordered he pay compensation of £15 to the supermarket. Magistrates agreed the £135 total could be added to the outstanding amount Harborn already owes the courts and be deducted from his benefits. The chairman added the pliers would be confiscated and stressed that if Harborn wanted another pair, he should buy and not steal them. We reported in November 2019 how the serial offender was jailed for 23 weeks after attacking a woman who was eight weeks pregnant in front of two children. Among his previous convictions are assault and breaching a restraining order. Uh, More than 7,000 people have been on a tour of the Diglis Fish Pass this year. Unlocking the Seven, the team behind the Diglis Fish Pass and Diglis Island have officially ended touring for 2022 after extending visiting times until mid-November. In a picture posted on Twitter, the organisation confirmed that 7,018 people had taken a tour of the facilities in 2022. This year is the first that these tours have been open to the public and have proved very popular with Worcester residents. A spokesperson tweeted, And that's a wrap on this year's visitor season. We're thrilled to have been able to extend it right through until mid-November, giving over 7,000 people the chance to explore Diglis Island and the Diglis Fish Pass. Big thank you to our Diglis Island guides and team Shad. The picture posted on social media also confirms that the tours will be available to book again in March 2023. The 90-minute tours of Diglis Island and the Diglis Fish Pass in Worcester were supposed to end in October, but were extended longer by staff due to the salmon migration. A variety of drop-in and bookable sessions for those wishing to attend to witness the migration at the viewing window was drawn up. The Diglis Fish Pass contains a room below the River Severn, with a large viewing window where fish can be seen making their way upstream. The viewing window is illuminated with a backlight so that the cameras can detect fish at all times of the day. The purpose of a fish pass is to allow fish to move past man-made blockages in water. In Diglis, the weir means that many fish looking to travel upstream struggle due to the two-metre separation. The pass consists of 11 small pools, each just 20 centimetres higher than the last, making it more manageable for the fish to swim through. 
The fish detect the stream of water in the river and can travel upwards with walls in each pool, relieving some of the force created by the water. The pass is expected to reopen to the public in March. OK, this is from uh, last Saturday's paper and it's uh, the Mayor's Diary, Councillor Adrian Gregson, Mayor of Worcester. During this week's Guildhall tour for six Worcester brownies, one of many questions was, what do you like most about being mayor? The answer is, a week like this. Talking about the Guildhall with interested and excitable youngsters, opening a pub, accepting a letter from the Interfaith Forum about climate change, welcoming Ukrainians to a business workshop and several remembrance events. Such variety. It's an honour and privilege as Mayor to lay a wreath in memory of the servicemen and women and their families and communities who died in the Great War, as we did at 11am on the 11th of the 11th, and at the grave of Woodbine Willie and those victims of the 1939, 45 and subsequent wars. The public crowds demonstrated their support and feeling on Sunday morning in what is a particularly poignant time with war yet again on mainland Europe. That sombre thought was with me at the start of workshops to assist Ukrainians seeking to start or develop their businesses, having been forced out of their own country and now settling in Worcester. This is one of the practical developments of our welcoming event during the summer. The visit from Brownies from my own ward was inspiring, as much for me as hopefully for them. There were questions about being mayor, how heavy is the chain, about politics, about climate, and one of the most insightful, what can young girls do for their community? I think my answer was, stand up, don't be afraid to say what you want, lead by example, whether that is taking litter home or planting trees for the environment, get involved, hopefully a relevant message for any young person in these challenging times. By the way, the pub opening was the White Hart in Fernhill Heath. Back after six decades. Pupils for School, which closed its doors back in 1966, held a reunion event in Worcester. The Worcester Technical High School class of 1962 attended the valedictory reunion earlier this month, 60 years since leaving school. The group met at the King's Head pub in Sidbury for lunch and a drink to catch up with and reminisce on their time at the school. Ian Bennett, one of the organisers behind the reunion, said those in attendance were eager to host more get-togethers in future. He said, It was enthusiastically agreed that further get-togethers could happen on a casual basis, as quite a few old classmates were unable to attend this one due to various pre-scheduled appointments. Of the 40 pupils from the class of 62 that still survive, 17 managed to attend, some travelling quite a distance from places such as Bolton, Derby, Taunton and Evesham. Out of all of the pupils in the class of 1962, only two were girls who both attended the event. Ian said, Also in the group, the only two girls in the year were able to come, which was a very pleasant surprise, along with others that hadn't been seen since leaving the Victoria Institute 60 years ago. The former pupils, aged between 76 and 77, first got into contact 20 years ago over the internet and arranged their first meeting in 2009. The technical school was located in the Victoria Institute, the great Victorian edifice that stands next to the Shire Hall and spans the plot of land between Forgate Street and Sanson Walk. It occupied the back of the Victoria Institute behind the City Museum and Art Gallery, specialising in teaching technical subjects and took students between the ages of 13 and 16. 
Pupils who went to the tech, as it was known, were virtually guaranteed apprenticeships with the many engineering firms in and around Worcester at the time, principally Heenan and Froude, Metalbox and Archdales. Walking as witnesses of change. Faith leaders took part in a walk of witness for climate justice in Worcester. Members from the Methodist Church, Green Christians in Worcester and climate change supporters walked through the city to raise awareness of the climate crisis. The group hoped to encourage Worcester Council to think globally and act locally in order to combat climate change. The walk was held on November the 12th to coincide with a global day of action for COP27 with rallies taking place around the world. The walk started at St George's Catholic Church in Sansom Walk at 10.30 and proceeded to Hope Church at the Granary, St Andrew's Methodist Church on Pump Street and St Helen's on the High Street before finishing at 11.30 in front of Worcester Cathedral. At each site, faith leaders such as Corinne Brown led prayers, chanting and reflection. During the walk, an open letter from faith leaders was delivered to the Mayor, Councillor Adrian Gregson, thanking Worcester City Council for its ongoing commitment to climate change action and pledging support from faith communities. We often feel dispirited when it comes to taking action locally on climate change. What can we do in our little corner of the world here in Worcester? We can do a lot. The gathering on last Saturday and sharing stories with fellow participants of the Walk of, of Witness has confirmed it. Tom Piotrowski, who took part in the walk, said, Many churches have eco-groups and very detailed action plans in place to improve environmental standards in their communities. OK, here's a heartening story. Moving day for Big Fan. Staff at a Worcester removal firm have helped make an autistic lorry enthusiast's dream come true. Adam Stokes, 30, was invited to meet the team at Warren's removals after he began calling them several times a day. Adam, who is also partially sighted, loves lorries and became aware of, Worcester, of Warren's removals through its YouTube series Warren's Removals TV, which follows the staff of the business on various jobs. Warren Leggett, owner of Warren's Removals, arranged for Adam from Nottingham to come to Worcester to meet the team and learn more about what they do. Warren said, He really is a remarkable young man. His politeness and hard-working attitude blew us away. What an absolute pleasure having him around. He started to call our office just to say hello. It then turned into around four or five calls a day where he was asking if he could come and visit us. Conversations progressed to his support workers and after a day or so of planning we decided we would love to have him along. Adam from Nottingham travelled to Worcester by two trains staying in a hostel and worked alongside the team at Warrens for two days. Mr Leggett said, He helped us load from storage, he helped on an actual house move, he made phone calls and he fuelled the vans. He also had a drive in the lorry, helped us wash the vans, even asked me to arrange a meal with the team, which is exactly what we did. We even got him a full Warren's uniform and a personalised mug. Adam's presence at the office had such an effect on the staff, they are already arranging to see him again in 2023. Mr Leggett said, we already miss him, but we promised to have Adam back in January for a few days, which he's incredibly excited about. We learned so much about Adam 
and he's really excited for our next YouTube episode as he will be featured on it at his request. This is what life is all about. Warren's Removals was established in 2014 and covers Worcester, Stratford, Evesham, Droitwich, Malvern and Pershaw. Right, we turn our attention to sport now and we've got time for three stories for you before we conclude this week. The first one is a rugby union story and is not surprisingly on the subject of the fortunes or lack of fortune of Worcester Warriors. You owe us is the headline. Ex-owners Whittingham and Goldring claim rugby club still owes them millions of pounds. The former owners of Worcester Warriors have claimed that the club still owes them £2 million. A 92-page report produced by the administrators, Begbie's trainer, documents the scale of the debt at the club and lists the money owed to all creditors and Colin Goldring and Jason Whittingham's bond group companies are twice on the report. Just over £1.6 million is said to be owed to bond group services and around £400,000 to bond group investments. The administrators say that there is a potential dispute over that money and they want more evidence of why it is owed, as well as continuing to investigate the previous owner's business dealings. Warriors were placed into administration in September of 2022 and subsequently suspended from all rugby activity, later being relegated from the Premiership with immediate effect. Begbie's trainers were the administrators called in and they have now produced the obligatory document for all creditors. The debt totals over £30 million, with just over £16 million of that owed to the government in the form of loans. £2.1 million is in unpaid taxes owed to HMRC, and still £6.8 million of the club's payroll remains unpaid. Then there is around £5.8 million of unsecured debts owed to hundreds of suppliers, contractors, firms and supporters, which is likely to be lost unless any new owners come in and decide to pay it back. Some of these debts will be taken on by a potential buyer and at this stage that looks most likely to be the consortium headed by former Warriors director Jim O'Toole and business partner James Sandford. The document does state that a £600,000 loan taken out on the land at Six Ways by Goldring and Whittingham has been paid off by O'Toole's consortium. It indicates the options explored to avoid administration, but in the end confirms that it was the most appropriate action given the circumstances. They have also appealed the decision by the RFU and PRL to relegate Worcester into the championship. And here's a story about basketball. Worcester Wolves tasted defeat for just the second time this season as National Basketball League Division 2 leaders Birmingham Rockets remained unbeaten. Ian Vivera Rodriguez contributed an early five points to an 11-11 tie six minutes into the contest. Wolves hit seven points without reply as the end of the first quarter approached but went into the break 1918 behind after falling victim to successive three-pointers from former Worcester guard Nathan Ramsdale-Owen and his backcourt partner Carl Teasdale. Rockets threatened to pull away at 33-26, three minutes ahead of half-time, before Arian Davudi and Wilfred Santhi both fired from distance to bring the sides level. Newcomer Humberto Ferreira converted a simple layup under the basket to debut on the score sheet and restrict Birmingham to a slender 36-35 lead as the second half began. Ferreira stayed in the thick of the action, 
by out-hustling defenders to grab three offensive rebounds in almost as many seconds and set up Matei Balitanu's eventual basket. However, Birmingham were able to pounce upon an accumulation of repeated careless ball handling by their visitors to move 51-43 ahead, entering the final quarter. Balteanu continued to toil close to the hoop, but with scant scoring support and little lessening of their turnovers, Worcester could not prevent defeat. Friday, December the 2nd, we'll see Wolves return home when they welcome Charnwood Riders to the University of Worcester Arena. OK, um, Worcester success story here. New champion. Worcester boxer Owen Cooper remains unbeaten in his professional career as he became the new Midlands area champion last weekend. Cooper, who signed to Frank Warren's Queensbury promotion, picked up his first belt in what was a one-sided affair against Jamie Stewart in Telford to give him a 7-0 winning record. Backed by his loyal and vocal fan base, Cooper produced a boxing clinic to run away with the contest, with the referee scoring the contest 100-89 in the 22-year-old's favour. The atmosphere inside the International Centre was electric, as Cooper's fans made their presence known right from the opening bell. The contest embodied the best of the domestic scene, with neither man willing to take a backward step, but it was the relentlessness of Cooper's attacks that made the difference. Cooper, trained by Malcolm Melvin, was dominant throughout and landed some real eye-catching shots, none more than a beautiful straight right in the fourth that sent Stewart's mouthpiece flying across the ring. Stewart was not to be taken lightly, though, as he often fought back with combinations of his own that ensured Cooper stayed switched on. It was the 22-year-old's ability to mix up his attacks to both body and head which was perhaps most impressive. After the fight... He took to Instagram to thank his fans for their support. I want to thank every single person that made the trip up to Telford to support me and will be forever grateful. Thanks to those who have taken the time out to message me as well. I also want to thank my coach Malcolm and Darren Hunter for their for the countless amount of hours behind the scenes and Errol Johnson, BCB Boxing and Frank Warren for giving me the opportunity on such a big show. We had a great camp for this fight We'll have a couple of days break, then back to it, ready for even bigger fights in 2023. Thank you, Dill. That concludes our stories for this week. Um, in concluding, let me tell you that the sunrise time tomorrow is 07.46 and sunset is at five past four. That's at 16.05. Catherine's now going to read out the birthdays. Well, there are two birthdays in the coming week, both on the 28th. So many happy returns to Graham Smith and to David Hunter for their birthdays on the 28th of November. Indeed, many happy returns. And Dild, thought for the week. Yes, thought for the, thought for the week this time is from uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of all those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. 
Well, that brings us to the end of this week's recording. Can I thank tonight's readers, Catherine and Dill? So it's goodbye from Catherine. Goodbye. And Dill. Bye. And goodbye from me too. Many thanks to the production team for their efforts and may we wish you a good week ahead. I shall now read this week's obituaries. Marion Elsie Deakin passed away peacefully at Worcester City Inpatient Unit in October, aged 97. The funeral service will take place on Tuesday, the 29th of November at Worcester Crematorium at 11.30. Family flowers only, please, and donations can be made to Cancer Research UK. All inquiries to AV Band Funeral Directors. Telephone 01905 22892. Glenn Leslie Greenwood passed away peacefully at home. A service at Worcester Crematorium will be held on Tuesday 29th of November at 3.15pm. Friends and family welcome afterwards at the Barn Owl, Warnden, WR4, 9UP, for a hot buffet. Richard Peters passed away peacefully on the 1st of November. The service will be at Worcester Crematorium on the 6th of December at 1130 Family flowers only, please. Donations to Leukemia Research. Please wear bright colours. Michele Lacovelli passed away on the 7th of November, aged 84. A service will be held at The Vale on the 25th of November at 11 o'clock. Donations, if desired, can be made to Acorns Children's Hospice, care of Jackson Family Funeral Directors, 5456 Barbourne Road, Worcester, WR1 1JA. Maurice Bradley passed away at home on the 2nd of November. Funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on the 29th of November at 10.45am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK. And these may be sent to Bedwardine Funeral Services. Telephone 01905 Here's a note on the funeral for Glenn Greenwood that it's family flowers only, please, and donations for SSAFA on plate at the service. Roderick Pilliner passed away in November, aged 87. The funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday 29th November at 10am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Robert Hall, known as Bob, passed away early November. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday the 30th of November at 1pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Worcester Snoozeland Project. Please make cheques payable to WGCC Ladies section and they may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery. Maria Morozovsky passed away earlier this month. The funeral service will be held at St. George's Catholic Church, Worcester, on Monday the 5th of December at 12pm, followed by internment at Aswood Cemetery. Reception to follow at Stanbrook Abbey, Callowend, Worcester. Family flowers only, please. Donations could be made, however, to the British Heart Foundation if desired. All inquiries to E.J. Gummery. Anne Smith, known as Clara, passed away this month. Funeral service on Monday the 28th of November, 12 noon at Witchinford Church. Family flowers only, please. Donation if desired to Witchinford Church and Air Ambulance. 
care of A.H. Caldicott and Sons Funeral Directors, 15 Market Street, Tenbury Wells, WR158BH. Telephone 01584 810281. Frederick Lee passed away this month. The funeral service is at the Vale Crematorium on Thursday, the 1st of December at 12 noon. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St. Richard's Hospice or Worcestershire Wildlife Trust may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Derek Rouse, known as John, passed away this month. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, 1st of December at 315 Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the British Heart Foundation, and they may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery, 